Don, did you see what the vote was? What was the result? Wednesday, May 5th. What does this mean for King Avenue? Does this mean they can come after us? How can they have decided what they did? Thursday, May 6th. So what power does that decision have over us? What's all the fuss over anyway? They essentially change nothing. They are the Quadrennial United Methodist General Conference delegates meeting in Pittsburgh. The decision, the vote on whether or not to change some of the wording in paragraph 161G of our Book of Discipline. That particular paragraph is the section that deals with homosexuality. And those several sentences get lots of attention every four years. Our denomination's official position recognizes the sacred worth of all people and implores churches and families not to reject their gay and lesbian members. But also it contains the phrase, the practice of homosexuality is incompatible with Christian teaching. And from that flows a ban on the ordination of openly gay persons to the ministry and a ban on United Methodist clergy officiating same-sex ceremonies, etc. So this general conference this past week took up the issue. There were proposals sent that would have removed that particular clause. There were proposals sent that would have strengthened it. There were proposals sent that would change the wording a bit and tried to find some middle ground. In the end, the delegates did change the semantics a little, but left that clause in and chose to leave out a line that would have acknowledged that there is some difference of opinion in the church on this issue. So the result for us, we're in exactly the same position we were two weeks ago before General Conference started. We seek to faithfully live out our social principles and we faithfully dissent from and continue to work to change the incompatibility clause and other parts of our book of discipline that follow from it. I've talked to many of you this week, and I know Grayson has talked to many of you, and many of you have been talking amongst yourselves about it. There's a lot of pain, I know, to hear over and over again that living one's sexual orientation is incompatible with Christian teaching strikes a wound in the heart. I know there's sadness for the delegates to have removed a line that essentially didn't change our position, but at least acknowledged there were some folks who disagreed. That was disappointing. So the short answer to the question, where does this leave us and what does it mean for us, is that we're in the same position we were in before. We'll continue doing what we were doing. The long answer to that question, that's what you get now. There is no small amount of scholarly debate about the background and context of the book of Revelation. But the consensus is that it was written during a time when the early Christian church was being severely persecuted. The Roman emperor, most likely Domitian, was simply rounding up and killing Christians, sometimes after torturing and humiliating them. Revelation was written as a way to try to give great hope to people who were grasping at any hopeful straw they could find. And it was circulated among the church outposts that Paul had established around the Mediterranean basin. The book opens with exhortations to the believers in those little outposts. 
One church is urged to recapture the sacrificial love of Christ in their relationships with each other. Another is asked to be courageous in the face of the persecution they face. Another is exhorted to return to the core teachings of Jesus, and still another is urged to continue to persevere in good works, and so on. Then there are visions of Christ returning in triumph at the end of the age. These are often misinterpreted and misunderstood. They aren't predictions, but they are, in a sense, a fanfare of imagery to give hope to those who are struggling to live their faith. And then there's strange imagery describing the threats to the faithful people of the time, representing the depth of the struggle to follow Christ. And then there are the images at the end of the book, among them today's lesson. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Again, Not literal images or predictions, but poetic words of hope to a people that had lost their home, the temple, their religious center. And then there is comfort. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. God will dwell with them. They will be God's people, and God will wipe every tear from their eye. Death will be no more, and mourning and crying and pain will be no more. To those suffering deeply because of their faith, Revelation calls forth the eternal promise of God, that God is right here with us, in our midst, living with us, suffering with us, crying with us, wiping our tears, bringing new life in the midst of death. And the passage continues, the one who was on the throne said, see, I am making all things new. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, to the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. In the midst of pain and anguish, God is present. God is active, making all things new. God is offering the water of life to those thirsty for the divine. At General Conference, the Reconciling Ministries Network organized and carried out a wonderful witness. We're a part of RMN as a reconciling congregation. The theme for General Conference revolved around baptism. So RMN members stood at the entrance to the convention center in Pittsburgh, uh, kneeling in prayer and some of them offering bowls of water, offering the delegates a chance to remember their baptism as they entered the building. Such irony that a number of those participating in that witness have been denied the opportunity to use the sacramental water of baptism as a member of the clergy because of their sexual orientation. Yet they offered the gift, nonetheless. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. The passage from the book of Acts, I think, is central for those of us working for an inclusive church. We miss a little background just before what was read today. As the early church grew, There arose a bit of a problem. Followers of Jesus, who believed he was the Messiah, were Jewish. As the message spread, many others who were not Jewish began to believe and to follow. There was a lot of discussion about this. Must those who were not raised Jewish become Jews in order to be a part of the movement? If not, what does that mean for those of us still seeking to live by the Torah? There was much debate. Some disciples went their separate ways because of it. 
Then Peter receives the vision that he's talking about in the passage Sarah read for us. Visions of unclean food, that is, outside the prescribed dietary restrictions in the Torah, appeared and he heard a voice telling him to take and eat it. Peter objects. He's been a person seeking to live his faith the best he knows how and as he was taught, and so he would not do that in order to be a faithful person. But he sees the vision and hears the voice, what God has made clean you shall not call profane. He gets the vision three times, followed by instructions to go to a house of a Gentile, a non-Jew, and speak with him about Jesus. There he tells the good news and is astounded that people outside the traditional definition of holiness could respond enthusiastically and seek to follow Christ themselves. So Acts 11 begins with the rest of the disciples in Jerusalem asking Peter why he's hanging out with these people who don't fit the right categories. So he recounts that experience of the vision and they too are astounded. People from outside the borders of their faith community could be moved by the Spirit and follow. Peter sums it up with, Who was I that I could hinder God? From there, the gospel begins to spread lightning quick to all the people in the known world. Oh, how I wish that general conference could have been in Columbus and the delegates could have worshipped with us at King Avenue. Such a thing it would be for those who voted to uphold the traditional view to come and be in ministry with us, to worship with us, to pray with us, to sing with us, to reach out to the world with us. Perhaps we could have played the part of the surprisingly faithful Gentiles to Peter and help people realize that even if you're outside the traditional categories, you can't hinder the work of God. In fact, we are doing that because of our involvement through the Reconciling Ministries Network, because of our connection to Soul Force. Joe Spinelli and Karen Ball were present at General Conference this week and took part in a uh, uh, peaceful but moving um, interruption of the ceremonies and the business on Thursday and through our commitment to be in ministry with all people. Our gospel lesson comes soon after the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet at that time when he last shared a dinner with his friends before he was betrayed and arrested. The foot washing that sums up the sacrificial, the centered on others, the humble but powerful love that we're expected to carry forward into the future. Jesus sums that up in a couple of verses today. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. As I have loved you, Jesus says. As I have loved you, teaching, comforting, healing, sacrificing, prophetically challenging, radical faithfulness in the face of persecution. As I have expressed this love for you, Jesus says, you also should love one another. That's a high standard. If we're honest, we know it challenges us at least from time to time. 
As we move forward from General Conference, there will be a temptation for us here at King Avenue and other churches that are working for change. There's a temptation for us to uh, take that one particular issue we're most concerned about and generalize that to the rest of the church. And while it's true that our denomination's delegates chose not to go down the path of sacrificial love for gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender Christians that we might have liked for them to take, it's also true the delegates made some wonderful life-affirming proactive decisions this past week or two. We reaffirmed a commitment to higher education in Africa. We took a number of stands on social justice issues that certainly fall into the category of speaking truth to power. We created a new division on ministry with young people in the General Board of Discipleship that at least has the potential to assist the whole church in revitalizing ministry with youth and on campus and with young adults, along with lots and lots of other things. Our challenge is to continue to live out the sacrificial love of Jesus, to love as he loved in the midst of whatever pain and anguish we may feel. It's a hard thing to realize and then live out that kind of Christ-centered love, even with folks who may disagree with us on many important issues. My best lesson on the way Jesus loved came, I guess, around 30 years ago at Thanksgiving at my Grandma Louise's house. We got to go visit Grandma last weekend sort of on the spur of the moment. Uh, this is the butterscotch pie grandma that I talk about all the time. Some of you can recite the story I'm about to tell, but there's enough of you who are new that haven't heard it, so. The way our family sort of played out as I was growing up, my biological grandfather on that side of the family died when I was about two. And Grandma remarried a couple of years later. And so we, in fact, had... Um, now, I always... I mean, Grandpa was just Grandpa. I was really young when all that happened. But he had his own family that had been established, as Grandma had had hers. And really, the only time we kind of saw all of the extensions of those uh, family members were Thanksgiving and Christmas. And so this particular Thanksgiving, we had all of the children on both sides and all of their children. And so it was all of the sisters and brothers and stepsisters and stepbrothers and cousins and first cousins and stepcousins were all there in a little two-bedroom ranch house in Van Wert, Ohio. <clears throat> now, Thanksgiving, uh, the uh, mealtime came along, and uh, so we started to gather. And you could really kind of cut the tension with a knife that year. And it wasn't because all of those folks were there. It was because of something that had happened with one of my step-cousins. She was 16 and had gotten pregnant. And it, in fact, was the result of an interracial relationship. And so while my family was very loving and was working very hard on this, there was still lots of tension in the house. The young man who was the father of that uh, baby yet to be born was there with us. So we gathered in the kitchen and uh, circled up for our prayer. And Grandpa always said the prayer. It was always Grandpa. Uh, and he said, bow your heads. Uh, more of a command than an invitation. And so we did. 
and he always started with, Heavenly Father, we thank thee for all the gifts we have received, and then there's usually another minute of mumbling we didn't really understand, and then we heard amen at the end, and it was time to eat. So, uh, the kids, usually led by me, run up to the buffet line to start scooping food on our plates. The homemade noodles and the butterscotch pie were the two hot commodities in the kitchen. And this particular year, Grandma jumped in line ahead of some of us and started filling up a plate. Now, you know, it was fine, turkey, cranberry sauce, relish tray, stuffing, whatever. But if you take one more scoop of noodles than you were supposed to have, there was serious trouble. So Grandma starts ladling noodles onto this plate. And us kids are like, hey, what is going on here? We need noodles too. And she continues filling up a plate. And then she took that and she grabbed this young man by the hand, the father of my step-cousin's child, took him into the living room, sat him down in Grandpa's recliner. No one else before or since had ever sat in Grandpa's recliner. (laughs) Sat him down, put his plate of food on the TV tray. Then she came back in the kitchen and to make it worse, cut in line in front of me in the dessert line and started scooping out butterscotch pie for him. And so I'll admit I was one of them, but there were many of us who said, Grandma, what is going on? We don't, we don't get this kind of treatment. You don't serve us on our plates and we don't get to sit in Grandpa's chair. What's going on? And she put the dessert plate down and kind of drew herself up, was quiet for a moment, looked around at all of us and said, I just want him to know that in this house, he's welcome. Praise be to God for grandmothers and mothers who have taught us such things over the years. And it's also the best answer to the question Where does General Conference leave us here at King Avenue? It leaves us with this. In this house, we will continue to live the sacrificial love of Christ and let the world know we are Christians by our love for each other and those around us in our community. In this house, we will continue to seek to heal the pain of those who come to us needing the tears to be wiped from their eyes because of their experience in the past in the church. In this house, we will continue to show forth the great new things that God is doing with us, not because we're perfect, not because we're full of pride, but because we simply cannot hinder the work of God. In this house, we will continue to pay attention to and respond to the God who we know lives among us and who proclaims, Behold, I make all things new. And in this house, we will continue to offer the water of life to those whose souls have been dehydrated in the desert of exclusion and prejudice. In this house, it will continue to be that all are welcome. In this house, We will continue to honor all people, and one day it will be so in all of God's houses. Amen.
hymn, I invite you to turn to the words printed in the bulletin. It's perhaps an unfamiliar tune. The choir can lead you through the verses, and I hope everyone can join in in the final line of each verse.
And now may God, our Creator, watch over you. May the risen Christ be the foundation upon which you live your life. And may the love and fellowship of the Holy Spirit surround you, keep you, and protect you today and every day. Go from here, living, knowing that all are welcome in this house and in your house. Amen.